Hello, friends. Welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. So my friends, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again for Wednesday Wake Up. I wanted to... uh... Wow, <laughs> that hail is coming down so hard. I wanted to uh, thank folks for hanging in there with the podcast. For those of you who've been listening, uh, I know some of you come every couple weeks to the the live experience that we got here. But we had so I had two weeks off for COVID and then some audio malfunctions and so on. But we did finally get a podcast up. So uh, if you were not here. Last week, we did finally get a podcast back up and running, so uh, thanks for your patience. And I uh, I wanted to give a shout-out, because as soon as we put it up, we had folks back on downloading and listening. Um, so I do want to give a shout-out to those of our friends in India who were back on downloading and participating with us, and um, all of our friends in Oregon and California. And on the East Coast, we had all of our friends back in New Jersey. New Jersey's a big spot for Wednesday Wake Up, and we got a lot of folks and meditators out there that download every week. So just want to give a shout-out to folks for being patient. We got it back up, and hopefully we'll keep uh, we'll keep it up at this pace now going forward. So I wanted to continue. Uh, last week we talked about impermanence. We talked about Anicca, and I had remembered that last year when we did our Anicca retreat, I had created a couple frameworks that I hadn't really offered before. And in that retreat was the only time that I had really brought some of those teachings together. So I wanted to revisit uh, one of those teachings tonight because we've never done it, uh, at least not in a Wednesday session. And I wanted to do it because it's kind of a, I'm not going to say it's rare, but it's just not one of those things in the context of a Nietzsche that's talked about too frequently. And I think it's really important because there's a lot of suffering around it. And so what I wanted to talk about tonight is the fact that, you know, when we're, when we're learning the Dharma and we reflect on a Nietzsche and impermanence, we, you know, first and foremost, usually talk about things that are happening to us like curveballs, right? We get sick, uh, we get laid off from a job, something doesn't go our way, you know, these big kind of events that come and go in our life. And they appear to be happening from the outside and we can look at them and label them and then we can respond to them. And oftentimes, you know, one of the heart-mind qualities that we usually rely on is equanimity, right? Acceptance. So we spend a lot of time, uh, particularly I think in American Buddhism, focusing on the enlightenment factor of equanimity when it comes to the acceptance of change. And it's great. I think, I think it's important because I think at least in, I can really only speak, of course, from like North American culture and my subculture that I'm, you know, living in. But I, I do think we see this a lot in uh, North American culture, a lot of this craving for things to be a particular way and a lot of suffering happening when we don't get it. We're a very privileged country overall. Um, so there's this clinging, this grasping, and that when 
we come to the cushion, one of the first things, you know, that we're told to do is to look at those cravings and look at the disappointments and look at the chronic impermanence that we see in life and take a step back and bring some equanimity to the vicissitudes of our life, whether it's pain or discontent or some event or relationship, <laughs> I was about to say relationship malfunction <laughs> that I think all of us have had one or two of uh, in life. And so often we bring, first thing we do is we bring equanimity to the anicca that we experience in our life. And then when we're on the cushion, of course, when we experience the arising and passing away of the hindrances or the aversive sensations that we have, again, we bring mindfulness to these sensations, we learn to accept them, we learn to breathe through them, uh, we learn to do some thought replacement, uh, we learn to do some mantra practice with loving kindness. And all of these are solid Buddhist practices. They're essential for our Dharma training. But there's one aspect of Anicca that we tend to not see clearly in the beginning of practice, which is the type of suffering that comes when change needs to occur in life and we hesitate to implement the change. So some of you who are on the Anicca retreat may remember that this was a big topic that we talked about because it's just something we often overlook. Oftentimes we overlook the fact that in life, oftentimes change is being called into being. There is a moment in time where something needs to give way, but it's not going to give way without our intentional efforts. It's something we're actually going to cultivate or create. So sometimes we're leaning back and being really passive in our practice and letting change wash over us. And that is the skillful means in that moment to have a sense of freedom and ease. But other times the suffering is really not coming from an absence of letting go. It's actually coming from an absence of intentionality, which is a much more active part of practicing with a Nietzsche. So what we're doing is... We're resisting change that needs to be called into existence, and we're the ones that unfortunately have to bring that change about. And so I just wanted to review some of the strategies around this this evening, because I know for, my, <laughs> I know for myself, it seems like every so often I'll notice in my life that there are some changes that I had committed to, I'll say committed, uh, committed to making, and then maybe six months goes by or maybe a year, or in this case, maybe years go by. And I, I kind of have this mental list and I think, oh my gosh, why is this taking so long? Like, I really kind of wanted to change that about myself a long time ago and it still hasn't come to pass or I still haven't got around to initiating it. And I kind of feel like it would be more helpful, this is a reminder to myself now, if I spent more time on occasion just reflecting on parts of my life that I would like to initiate change in that I've kind of hesitated with, that I've kind of dragged my feet and asked myself, what's the aversion? What's going on with this thing in my life that needs to be let go of? And why am I dragging my feet with it? And I've got a birthday coming up uh, next, oh, this weekend, actually. And <laughs> I almost forgot my birthday was coming. I got a birthday coming up this weekend. And so I was kind of reflecting on some things in my life and this kind of list came up and it was really interesting because some of the things were like, like, man, I've been working on that part of myself for like years. And it's like, huh, I mean, I'm kind of dragging my feet in this one part of my life. And so I've been 
really coming to these kind of honest, truthful moments with myself this year, uh, this week about some things that I got to make some changes and asking myself, what's the aversion? What's the hang up here? And, uh, and jokingly asking myself, why is it taking so long? Uh, but in all seriousness, there's times when Anicca and the wisdom of Anicca is not about letting go. It's actually about participating more and being more active in the process of showing up in the world in a particular way. And because we're not monastics, right? Because we are actually practitioners who have families and hobbies and other goals outside of Dharma practice, this can be something that can be really healthy for lay practitioners, for householders to explore. Because if you're a monastic and you're living in a monastery, you're not going to have the type of life goals that those of us in this room tonight or listening to this on a podcast might have. Like we might have aspirations and we might have dreams that we want to bring into being, whether it's to have a hobby that we're working on or good at or some creative act of playing music or photography or, you know, being non-monastics, we have things that we want to bring into being, things in our life that we'd like to change, things that we'd that we would do, but as a monastic, it's just not in the cards. Those things are renounced because you're going to be in a monastery and we don't have to worry about those things. But for us, there are times where change is really brought about through intention and we can still look at this in the framework of the Dharma. So I wanted to offer a couple reflections uh, about change, the type of change that we initiate ourselves, and then some of the fear and apprehension that comes up when we try to do this. One of the first things that can be helpful is just to remember in general the different ways that things in our life might get stagnant, things in our life might get repetitive, and there might be, I think clinging might be the appropriate word. I think stuckness is probably really what I'm feeling in this moment. We get stuck in certain habits, in certain conditions, in certain routines, and the stuckness becomes a dukkha, becomes a suffering. And I'll just throw out some, some uh, obvious examples. So one is with our self-care and our well-being. We make commitments to eat a certain way or a commitment to exercise or a commitment to explore something in our life. And we do have a positive, healthy intention to do so. But for some reason, we don't push into initiating that new habit. We're just kind of stuck in a routine. And it's just much easier to stay in the routine and stay in the habit, even if it is a habit that causes suffering, than to move forward. And we can see this in getting trapped in like uh, what we call like a dead end job, where we have a routine or a habit of being uh, working at a place we feel like it's toxic or the pay isn't good enough or the work-life balance isn't working, but we cling to it, right? We cling to the habit. We're averse to making the change, even though we can feel the dukkha. Another example, which is like a more challenging example, would be our relationships. I, I know I'm not the only one in my life who's been in a relationship that's gotten in a rut, or it's a kind of relationship that is no longer nourishing or no longer uh, working for me in some way. And I don't have the ability to get out of the rut of the relationship. I can't let the relationship go. And maybe it's because I don't want the person to have hurt feelings, or maybe I just have some other kind of fear or insecurity around it. But I think we've all been in circumstances where we're a part of some activity, some circumstance, some relationship, 
and it's just time for it to come to an end, and we don't know how to bring the change about. And if we don't bring the change about, the Anicca doesn't come on its own, right? We're the ones that really need to kind of speak up for ourselves or take a stand for a healthy boundary or quit the job or bring in new friendships into our life that are more nourishing or heart-centered for us at this time or this phase of our development. So these are the kind of things I'm talking about. I'm talking about these circumstances in life that change is really required, but we struggle. We struggle with it. And why do we struggle and how can we use mindfulness or bring mindfulness to these circumstances and kind of light them up for ourselves, right? Use mindfulness as a kind of leverage to actually bring a Nietzsche into being. And in that bringing into being, we get the freedom that we're after. So those are just some basic examples. I uh, I love this example. I think I might have used this actually on the retreat when I was talking about this because it always comes to mind. I used to be a big uh, Scorsese fan as far as film goes. And uh, he made the, the movie Departed, which was a, some kind of mafia film. And there's this beautiful scene. And maybe I'm seeing this kind of as a therapist, but there's this beautiful scene. Uh, this couple's in bed and um, <laughs> the man turns to the woman and says, if this isn't working out, you're going to have to be the one to leave because I'm not going to be the one to do it. I just don't have the strength. So if this isn't working for you, you really have to tell me because I'll stay in this till the end, even if it's not working at all. And it's just this quirky little moment in this movie that just sticks with me. It stuck with me for, I don't know, 10 years because it's that moment where we're honest with ourselves that like, you know, I'm stuck in this rut and unless somebody pulls me out or something on a miracle from the outside, I'm not going to be the one to leave this situation. I'm going to stay in this and it's going to hurt and it's not going to be working and I'm just going to be in it. Um, so this is what I'm talking about. This kind of a wakefulness to our habit of staying in situations and not being uh, able for whatever the reason to allow change to come into being when it really is the more nurturing thing uh, that we need in the moment. So here's some frameworks for you that uh, might land. And these are ones I use for myself all the time. The first framework is really a stepping back using mindfulness and taking just inventory, right? The Buddha asks us in the present moment, always, 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 one of the most skillful things we can do is just simply ask ourselves, in my life right now, where is the dukkha? Where is the suffering? And reminding ourselves to keep checking back in, keep checking back in. Because unless we're actually enlightened, somewhere in our life, there is dukkha, right? There is some something in our life that's not going our way. There's some grieving over something. There's a craving, a clinging. Some impermanence is happening some longing for something, some pushing away of something else. So the first thing that we want to remind ourselves is to continually check in and be asking, where is the dukkha? Where is the dukkha? And then in this case, we ask ourselves, is there something in my life that I really need to let go of? Is there something in my life I really wish I could change, but I'm struggling with? And just be honest, just at that basic mindfulness level, is there something I've been waiting to change a really long time and haven't been able to do it. And sitting with that, starting off and just sitting with the experience of knowing that something has to give way and not being able to do it and not self-deprecating, not getting down on ourselves, anything like that. Just honoring the present moment of, yeah, there's this thing in my life 
I need to let go, need to make the change, need to have the boundary, and I'm struggling with it. And just being honest. Then we add a different reflection question to this, which is, what is the true cost of not allowing the change to occur? And that being its own meditation on dukkha. Because oftentimes we start with the dukkha, like, ow, this is painful, and we immediately know what we can do. But in cases when we're stuck in a rut, or we're stuck in a bad relationship, or we're stuck in a bad job, or a circumstance, or a community that we're having trouble like moving on from, sometimes we have to kind of set back and really get in touch with the cost of not getting out of the situation. Because until we can weigh the cost of not getting out, sometimes it's hard to see the aversion. It's hard to see the contraction of the heart. So it's, it's like such a hugely helpful question to ask ourselves, what is the cost if I stay in this circumstance? What is that cost to me? And what is the cost to those around me if I stay and don't allow a Nietzsche to arise? You can expand this reflection and ask yourself, what is the cost in the short term? And what is the cost in the long term? A question I really like to ask is, what is it going to be like if I'm in this exact same situation a year from now? How will I feel? And really use that as a meditation, a reflection. If I'm in this circumstance now, in this relationship that's not working, in this circumstance that I am having trouble letting go of, what is life going to be like and how am I going to feel? And by doing that, it brings the dukkha into present moment awareness in a very real and lived way. It allows us to really get deep into the dukkha itself. And this can be very helpful, <clears throat> excuse me, in encouraging motivation to move towards the letting go that needs to happen. So something to ask yourself when you're stuck in a rut like that is what is the cost for myself and others? What is the cost short term? What is the cost long-term and how would I feel a year from now or six months from now if I were still in the circumstance? And what's interesting about asking that question, if you start with longer timelines, so <laughs> let, let me just, let, I'll just use myself <laughs> for this example. Like uh, I've got all this COVID weight that I've gained, I've gained like so much weight during COVID and so I was asking myself the other day, because I felt kind of like I wasn't in the mood to eat well, and I wasn't really in the mood to exercise. So I asked myself, okay, how am I going to feel a year from now if I'm still feeling in this way in this moment? And I was like, oh, God, no, <laughs> no, 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 that can't happen. And then there was a sense of relief and kind of laughter, like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. A year from now, no, I got to take care of this. And it kind of just gave me permission to just be in the moment, to be with the dukkha, be with the insecurity, <clears throat> the shame that was coming up of just feeling overweight. And like, but when you push out the timeline, it gives you this space to kind of be like, yeah, okay, let, let me just get focused on this. And then you move backwards. So always start with the longest time. Okay, what is it going to be like if I don't make my changes and it's still like this for a year? And then back up and say, what about six months? How would you feel? And then bring mindfulness to the emotional response to the question. Watch what happens in the heart and mind when you actually reflect on that way. And you'll find it's very interesting. You'll see things kind of open up. 
you'll feel this kind of space in consciousness that allows you to really acknowledge the challenge that's at hand for whatever change it is that you're interested in making or whatever change you know needs to arise into being. So that's the first one, first framework. The second framework is to remind ourselves that, well, two things. I'll throw in a little neuroscience here for a second. We are wired to resist change, which is ridiculous considering that, as the Buddha says, change is one of the fundamental characteristics of existence. So we're built in such a way that change is inevitable. We're made up of change. We exist in a world of change. And the way we were, the way we were wired is to be averse to change. And so it's helpful to remember two things about Anicca when it comes to trying to change. One is that it is completely natural that human beings are actually averse to the sensation of impermanence and that change puts us face to face with the unknown. It puts us face to face with uncertainty. And another thing about change is that human beings often register impending change as loss that we at the physical level, at the sense of Vedana, right? Of sensations, human beings experience change as loss. And so one of the things we get in touch with, once you've kind of established the meditative object of, okay, here's the thing I'd like to change, but I'm having trouble with, we want to fall back into the fear. We want to fall back into the sensation of, is there a sense of loss here? Is there a sense of fear here? Is there a sense of uncertainty? Those are some pretty strong emotions. Those are great meditation objects. I'm getting excited about all these aversive emotions. These are wonderful ways (laughs) to meditate, right? We can fall back into asking ourselves, what is my fear here? Is there a fear of making this change? Is there a fear of leaving this relationship? Is there a fear of moving on from this job? Is there a fear of failure if I want to start this art project? If I want to, maybe you have a dream of writing a book or you're an artist in some way and you want to push your art in a particular direction. Is there a fear underneath the absence of change? Because that's so normative for the human heart and mind to look at change and anticipate it with a sense of fearfulness. So it's really hugely helpful if we're talking about a Nietzsche to remember that somewhere in the heart mind, there may be a hindrance of loss, fear of loss, feeling of loss, or this fear of uncertainty, fear of unknown, just fear in general. So another thing to keep in mind when you're dealing with the Nietzsche is that it's always correlative to this heart-mind response that we're wired to see it as loss. And there's a fear there that we have, which is really... (laughs) Uh, if I had my way and I made human beings, I certainly wouldn't make them dependent on a Nietzsche and then make them averse to the very truth of what they are. <laughs> that just seems like we're set up for failure. I just don't really understand that one. But that's the way it is. And what's funny with the Dharma is that, you know, with the Dharma, we're asked to be present with a Nietzsche, right? And to accept a Nietzsche. And it just so happens that we're wired in the exact opposite direction. So give yourself credit when you're trying to make change and you're struggling with it, that you're not wired to accept change. You're not wired to be excited about uh, what could happen on the other side of this new thing that you're doing in your life. It just doesn't work that way. And that self-compassion and self-care is hugely helpful for making strides in this regard. So keep that in mind. This is my favorite framework. 
This is my favorite one right here, uh, as far as making change in life. I can't remember who introduced me to it, but I, it's been hugely helpful for me. It's so common for us to feel the need to grow, right? Anicca, growth, to feel the need to grow in some way. And we delay the growth out of fear of how it's going to affect other people. Not really how it's going to affect us, but how other people might feel about our growth, right? This is something, put this on a post-it note and put this on your mirror. <laughs> when you delay your own growth on behalf of another person, you're essentially living someone else's life. That when you delay your growth, the growth that's being called into being for the sake of another person, then it's someone else's life that's in charge. You're living for someone else. You're not living for the authenticity of what's being called into being for yourself. That's such a huge shift for, my, for me in looking at, because I'm a very anxious person. So when change comes around, if I need to initiate change, you better believe there's going to be a checklist. There's going to be a pros and cons list. There's going to be <laughs> a couple panic attacks thrown in there. Like if something needs to come into being and I have hesitancy, it's going to take me months to, to initiate it. And the bigger it is, the longer it's going, to take, it's going to take me. So I like to remind myself that when I don't allow growth to occur, right? When a Nietzsche is calling to be had in my life and I'm resisting it, I don't have the opportunity to be my authentic self. I'm not really living for how I'm being called to show up in the world. What we end up doing is we live according to someone else's agenda and someone else's needs or someone else's fears or someone else's dreams. And our own personal development gets put on hold because of this fear of change. And it's not like the fear, like I said, it's not like the fear is unreasonable or not expected. Of course, it's going to be expected. <laughs> of course, it's going to be expected. Another way of looking at this, which I really like, is that not allowing impermanence to arise, not allowing change to arise, robs others of gaining the benefits of us being who we really are. The longer we take to be who we are, to call into being our true love, our true happiness, our true compassion, then other people don't get to experience our authenticity. So other people are essentially, for lack of a better word, put out or harmed by us in that delay. And the more we can be authentic for the changes that need to happen in our life, the more benefit for everyone around us, our family, our kiddos. You know what it's like. I was talking to someone recently who uh, was talking about being in a job and uh, having to fake enthusiasm for the job, being burnt out at a job and having to fake the enthusiasm. And it reminded me of what I was going to talk about tonight, which is when we're faking it, other people don't get to enjoy the trueness of who we are as people, right? It might be because of our fear that we prolong leaving a particular circumstance, but all those other people who don't get to meet us at our authentic self, that's something we can consider. I find that framework to be really helpful. I find that framework to be helpful. As I said before, for me, delaying a Nietzsche is like a is my own hobby. And so when I think to myself, all the good I can do in the world, being authentic to who I am by allowing change to happen, sometimes that helps to release that clinging, that grasping, that preventing. And I just find that to be a helpful framework for myself. So try that on sometime. When you're hesita hesitating to make a change in your life, again, 
if you did make the change, how would it benefit other people? How would your authenticity be a gift to those around you, your family, your friends, your coworkers, and so on? One other framework I'll offer for uh, a Nietzsche and bringing a Nietzsche into being. This is more of a life coaching framework, but I think it can be helpful. Actually, I'll just give you like some tips actually now that I'm thinking about it. If you're trying to bring something into being, no matter, it could be anything, a habit that you're bringing into being. First of all, try writing it down. Keeping stuff locked in our heads decreases the possibility that it's going to be put out into the world. So whatever it is, write it down. If it's a goal, put it on a post-it note. I got post-it notes all over. <laughs> I got post-it notes all over with these kind of things, quotes, inspiring quotes. But oftentimes I'm like, oh, I really want to do this. And I'll put it on my computer. Write it down. There's something about writing something down that increases the possibility of it coming into being. Tell someone about it. Tell someone close to you about something that you would like to bring into being in your life, but you're struggling to do so. Someone you can trust, someone there, it's an intimate relationship, but share it. Use Sangha, right? Use that social support to support that change that needs to be made. One that we talked about earlier, you can do an experiment and set a date. It's an experiment. It's a thought experiment. But let's say you want something, you know, in your life uh, to happen. Look at your phone calendar and say, what would happen if I just said, okay, June 16th, by June 16th, this thing, this thing's going to be happening and watch the fear that arises, right? Watch the contraction of the heart when you actually put it like on a calendar and put a date on it, right? Watch the fear that arises and watch the contraction. And then the thought experiment allows you to go out by date and contract by date and see kind of how you feel about bringing something into being, especially if it's something big. So that's another one. Actually put it on a calendar and put a date and watch how the heart and mind open or contract related to that. <laughs> I was worried. <laughs> I just bring this up for a second. So my wife, Molly, as many of you know, is actually trained as a life coach. And so I know better if I want to bring something into being to like discuss it with her because I know the first thing she's going to say is like she'll grab my phone or grab a calendar and be like, all right, let's do it in June or let's do it in May. And then she'll like give me a date and I'll completely panic. So I know better to ask like if I want to make a change in my life because she's going to immediately tell me that it's going to be done by a particular date and then I'm going to freak out. So, but the freak out is a good meditation. It really is. You can bring awareness to the heart and the mind and you can really see your aversion. You can see your fear. You can see the contraction, all of that good stuff in mindfulness when you make it real. As soon as you make it real, then you've got something to work with. One last thing uh, as far as tip and trick. Oftentimes we need to ask ourselves, under what conditions, under what circumstances would this change easily happen? Under what circumstances can I really thrive in this particular way? Oftentimes we look at it as I need to change A, but instead of saying I need to change A, you might ask yourself, what circumstances would have to change first? What support would I need? What would have to occur in the universe for me to be able to make this thing come into being? What would have to happen for me to be able to change my job? What would happen? What would have to happen for me to take on this new hobby? What would have to happen for me to throw my hat over the wall in this particular way and to move out in a more courageous fashion? And so instead of focusing on the object itself, like for me, example, okay, I want to lose some weight. 
then I would ask myself, so what circumstances would have to happen for that to occur? Instead of worrying about the weight itself, it's like, what would I need? What would, what would be supportive for me? Grocery shopping, better food, getting back into yoga, doing something that I enjoy for exercise that's fun, whatever those circumstances, focusing on the circumstances, the conditionality around the karma that we are trying to give birth to can be helpful because it takes it off the object. So that's another thing that can be helpful when it comes to bringing some kind of change into being, looking at conditioned reality rather than the object itself. Same with like, I, I happen to be friends with quite a few artists. Um, and so it's one of those things where I'll have a friend who's an artist and they want to do a show or they want to work on some project, but they feel stuck. And you can focus on the project itself or you can look at outside circumstances and start imagining what positive things you could put into being or in place or that you can use for support. And suddenly that tension and friction and contraction, again, you're trying to create this space in the heart using mindfulness and using reflective exercises to create some space between you and the fear, right? You and the, the stuckness, as I said earlier. So that's another way to do it. I'll conclude tonight with just a quote. Let me conclude with a quote. I've got a few quotes here that I have. Let's see here. Which one do I want to use? Uh, let me use, oh, I'll give two quotes. Okay. This is just a definition that I like for the term adaptation. One of the things about Anicca that can be fun is that human beings are constantly growing and changing and adapting, right? We live in a world of change, so we're constantly adapting. And it's so in, uh, to me, it's so interesting that we have this ability to work with a Nietzsche, right? To grow, to develop, to become something, to change things we don't like, to bring into being things we do like. And so I, I just wanted to uh, read this definition of adaptation. Adaptation is the ability to adjust to new information and experiences. Learning is essentially adapting to our constantly changing environment. Through adaptation, we are able to adopt new behaviors that allow us to cope with change and bring new realities into being. Adapting to our constantly changing environment. That's Anicca. That's the Anicca of the Buddha. Adapting to our constantly changing environment. When you look at the enlightenment factors, when you look at the hindrances, when you look at our meditative tools, so much of what we're taught in the Dharma is learning to either accept change, right? Letting go of old habits, or bringing change into being, cultivating skillful ones. The Dharma is a process of adaptation, learning to adapt to the ever-changing vicissitudes of the life experience in a way that opens the heart and puts us in a place where we can really live into kindness and compassion and joy. So I like that framework for, for the Dharma. Let's pause there. Let's pause there. Thanks for listening, my friends. Important stuff. Change. You can't get you can't get away from it. It's so funny. I was reading. Uh, I was going over some stuff on the the Dharma uh, the other day, and uh, there was I can't remember who it was, it was some monastic who was talking about how 
I think he just said outright that change is such a pain in the ass. Like, why why do we have to deal with this all the time? He was just really blunt. He's like, God, this is annoying. <laughs> and I was just laughing when I was reading it, from especially from someone who had taken robes. And I could just imagine, like, gosh, you're in a monastery, and that's all you do all day, I, I imagine, to some degree, is uh, working through a Nietzsche. And I'm, I think I was feeling like, I'm out here in the world. You know how much a Nietzsche I have to deal with every day? <laughs> you know how much change there is? Oh, my gosh. So much change. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much for hanging in there with my health. It's been, and I still feel like Dharma talks are still a little rough. If so, I apologize. I, I hope my brain comes back online. I'm doing my best. I appreciate you showing up and listening and your kind attention. I really do uh, still love hanging out every week and we'll just continue to do so as uh, I get better and better. So thank you so much. Uh, why don't we fall back into some loving kindness? Take a few intentional breaths, bringing awareness to the body, as fully into the body as you can in this moment. Let's thank ourselves for practice for the evening. Doing the work that needs to be done, as the Buddha said. Maybe bringing a sense of gratitude to our hearts, to everyone in this room who makes this evening possible. The generosity of self, the generosity of heart, taking time out of our day to come together in practice. Such a blessing. And as always, we recall that as we pursue our own awakening, our own healing, our own well-being, the highest aspiration that all beings be free from suffering and discontent. That all beings be free from harm. Be free from danger, worry, concern. We aspire to practice in such a way that our own healing will have a positive impact on all of those we have contact with.
And we imagine that awakening radiating out to all beings, to the planet itself. Let us wish that all beings know true love, true kindness, and true joy in this very lifetime. Thank you, my friends. Be safe. Be well. We'll see you next week. Take care, all. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.